Hey, Jacob. Yeah? We got to tell the listeners about B-Res Coffee Company. Oh, their coffee for gamers by game. That's them. 100% free trade Colombian coffee brewed right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. You know, that sounds perfect for all night gaming sessions, no matter what kind of gamer you are. Video games, tabletop, card games, B-Res has what you need to keep sharp. They got all kinds of flavors to choose from, like good for gaming light roast, or my favorite, the Necro Medium. You know, I like a good dark roast, like critical gaming dark. You can even add flavors to your coffee, like iCast Fireball, which is a fireball whiskey flavor. Yeah, and if you can't decide what you want, then just try out their specialty sample pack. Look, whatever your coffee of choice is, they've got you covered. Head on over to brezcoffeeco.com and use the code OMPODCAST at checkout for 10% off of your order. Hey, Rocky, I shit my pants. Again? Oh, you're listening to the Open Micros Podcast, which is actually brought to you by that dirty, filthy, despicable motherfucker, BJ DeBlow. He knows exactly what he did, and he would have started his own podcast, but he was too chicken shit. We're also brought to you by Miss Jennifer Evelyn. If you have some time to waste and want to encourage fat people to sit around and watch shitty horror movies, check out the Innsmouth Rag, hosted by Mike and Jen because nothing spells midlife white people more than frivolous podcasts. This podcast is also brought to you by J.N. Reynolds, who, when I asked him what his ad read should be, he said, roast me raw, daddy. His words, not mine. So I will say that J.N. looks like the kind of person that buys the rotisserie hot dogs from 7-Eleven. And he wanted me to roast him, so I just sent him an actual roast. Aww. You're listening to another edition of the Open Micros Podcast, and we have to give a great big shout out to our Patreon supporter, Mr. Derek Diamond. Thank you so much for supporting us over at www.openmicrospodcast.com for as little as a dollar a month. And let's go ahead and play that music, baby. Yes, sir. Music means it's time for the Open Micers Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm more yoked than the Eggman himself. I'm Jacob Craig. And it, oh, dude, our guest tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you want to introduce him, Jason? You yes. Can introduce him. Uh, I've been telling some road stories for a while uh, on stage at the Open Mics and telling a few stories here and there on the on the podcast here. But this man has become a bit of a legend. Uh, he's even had some memes created about him uh, by some of the other comedians. And uh, I, I just had to, had to get him on the show. I haven't talked to this dude. How long has it been since we talked? Like At least three, four years. Probably three years since we've talked. And the last time we were together, I watched this man demolish like 80 pounds of crawfish with his dad and uh, get kicked out of Toronto's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he is the man, the myth, the legend. He is Mr. Jason Gutierrez, a.k.a. Gooder. Kicks out for Gooder. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that introduction, Dave. Dude, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad to be here. So let's, you wanted, you have a whole list of things we could go through, which we probably won't even get to half of it for in one podcast. So we might have to break this thing up over the next couple of months. So <laughs> yeah. How do we even start this off? Like I, I met you back. Uh, so I, I have actually known you longer than you've known me. This goes, <laughs> this goes back to fucking the Sicily's days. Oh Yeah. When you when you were when you were running that place and I would come in and see you there and just know you from Ferrigno. Yeah. You know, that- <laughs> I would come in and they and you know, they'd nudge me and be like, Oh, you know, drummer Ferrigno and then I remember um, For those of you that don't know, before Fall as well, I was in a band. I was in a funk a funk band called Ferrigno. And yes, we did name ourselves after Lou Ferrigno and we had a yes. song 
called Hail Ferrigno. <laughs> and I actually found that CD at our thrift store, our really? local thrift store, for like two bucks. Bought it and brought it to practice that night. <laughs> <laughs> Just to show them that that shit was still actually in circulation. Damn. Have you told Lou Ferrigno about the band Ferrigno? Jason? He knows about the band Ferrigno. We even showed him, uh, somebody, had, he, he was at a con like years and years ago. And somebody brought him the CD to sign. I don't remember who it was, but he, they said he thought it was the coolest thing ever. Hell yeah, dude. So I remember it was a battle of the bands at, I believe, was it Michael's? That bar that was the country club in the hotel on Highway 49. Yes, yeah. There was a battle of the bands going on, and Drop and Trowel was there. I don't. I can't remember if we if if we were playing or not. But I was, wasn't even in the band yet for that. No, that you time. weren't. You were you were just there because I believe it was like seven. It was like seven left. So this yeah. was like you know Derwood and all those guys, and you were there. Um, and then that was the night that I actually got my fake ID. Caught. I got caught with the <laughs> fake ID at Michael's. So I had a fake ID made for the drop and trial shows which was fall as well before the name change. Um, so I'd had a fake ID made to get into the shows so I could set up for the guys and then come to, you know, a few months later after getting into the casinos, being able to go to all the nightclubs in the casinos and gamble, I get busted at a country bar <laughs> for a fake ID and have to pay the $20 cover. And I had to do the walk of shame and convince the yeah. bouncer to let me go talk to my parents who were 20 feet away and get the $20 from them to pay the cover charge. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and, and just to clear up any confusion, fall as well. Bef before we were called fall as well, we were called drop and trowel. Right. Until we were signed to Universal and Universal made us change it because they said the, word, the name drop and trowel would turn off uh, any potential female listeners. I'm like, what? Oh, <laughs> fuck you, Universal Records. So we actually floated around a few names, and one of the top contenders was Dump Truck. We were going to call ourselves <laughs> Dump Truck. <laughs> That's what they called me in high school. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was really the first night that I remember like meeting you and hanging out with you. Um, I even, I don't think you remember it cause you were, you were talking to a girl that I went to high school with Tiffany. And so that was where like, we kind of started talking a little bit before you came into, um, DT slash fall as well. Yeah. That whole, that whole time. And so then, um, our, our first night we did have like a real good hangout night at the upstairs downstairs. Somehow we randomly crossed paths there. And that was the night that I found out that J-Bob loves the karaoke Elvis. <laughs> you do you remember this? Oh, I, I'll still karaoke the hell out of some Elvis, man. Whoa, oh, hold on. Slow down. You karaoke Elvis? Yeah. Blue suede shoes. Oh, no, it, it was... Uh, it's usually it's Now or Never or... Um, what else do I do? Uh... God, I do a couple of different Elvis songs, but usually it's now or never. That's like that's my go-to. I I just know that this man karaoke Elvis so good that I ended up getting laid that night because of him. <laughs> Whoa! You got secondhand laid because of Jason's Elvis impersonation. Absolutely. All right, and we have to do an open micers karaoke expedition where we go and karaoke together. I'm I'm and down for it. All I need is a couple tequilas and the inner Elvis comes out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let me look here at this list and see what else we have. So let pre kind of like chronologically, you got something? Well, I was just thinking, um, like, how exactly did like when did you become a part of because you were basically the sixth member of Fall as well. <laughs> Like, when did you start actually uh, becoming our roadie slash merch guy? Because it was before we got with we got signed, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm 
this goes back to even before Jared when the lead singer was Hallette. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That was before I mean, my I, time, too, because I didn't yes, join until... I mean, you know, Rob was, it was Rob, Steve, Mike, and, yeah. and Hallette. And that first show at the Upstairs Downstairs, um, me and Mikey worked together at World Gym. He did memberships, and I worked the front counter. That's, that's and, I remember that you guys did uh, know each yeah, other from and, World Gym. Yeah, and my dad was like, hey, I want you to meet this guy. He's in a band. You know, I think, you know, he'd be a really cool dude. You know, you guys would be pretty cool friends. So he introduced me to Mikey, and then we started hanging out. He told me about the show, and that's why I got the fake ID made, was to make it to that first show. I made it to that first show, and it just blew me away. Um, just I, I I just fell in love with the music. I never got old. It never got old to me listening to it. I mm. mean, even still to this day, promise right here. <laughs> I put this on my kid. I have an unsealed or un. I still have a sealed version of Fall as well, right here, three feet from me, wow. just randomly in my house. <laughs> That's so cool, dude. Um, you know, so after that, it was, I ended up picking up the bass because of Mikey and that turned into, you know, me hanging out at his apartment and us just hanging out, getting to know each other and playing the bass. And then it was like, Hey, come to this show. We're playing here, come to this show. And then I would, you know, get there or I would ride with Mikey. And then it was like, Hey, you know, you guys need a, need a hand with the, with the equipment. And then it just pretty much morphed into, all right. I know I have a job to do now. You know, you guys are kind of expecting the, me to do this because I've done it for so long. Then it kind of just, like I said, you know, turned into a job. And then around the time of Jared is when I started coming to the practices almost every day. I mean, it was practice was five days a week. Mm -hmm. I was at the rehearsal spot five days a week. Um, and that was the, you know, and that's crazy listening to the same songs five to seven days a yeah, week. We were workhorses year, in, year like, out. I think back to that time and I'm like, man, we were freaking workhorses, man. Cause like we worked day jobs and then we would go straight to practice every yeah. single night of the week. We would practice Monday through Thursday or Friday, depending on whether we had a show on Friday. And we usually played from Friday to Sunday. Was, yeah, yeah. We had three weekend, shows we on the weekends. And it was, you know, Monday through Thursday was practice. And I you know I was living in Socher at the time. So I was going from Socher to Ocean Springs mm -hmm. five days a week, you know. So, you know, my parents even saw, you know, the dedication that I was doing with this, you know. And when we get to, you know, further down in the story and we start talking about, you know, being on the road, you know, they, you know, obviously my parents want what's best for me. And my dad was kind of thinking, you know, stick with college, but they saw the, you know, the rebellious side where I was like, I'm going. And they saw the well, devotion that I had to it. It's so the exact they knew same. That this was going to be something that we rolled with. Well, yeah, it was the exact same thing for me. Like when I got, because when Rob left the original drummer for Drop and Trial, AKA Fall as well, left the band, I was still in Frigno. And they asked me, or I can't remember if they asked me or if I offered to play drums for them until they could find somebody new, because they had a show coming up, which was the very first show I ever played with Fall as well, was at um, the House of Blues in New Orleans, and this was in May. I had a week to learn their, the entire set, so I went in, and we like instantly clicked, and as, I mean, after that first practice, I was just like, man, this is... This is like, there's something here. And um, I had a choice to either stay with the band or I was actually uh, getting ready to go off to school uh, to full sail in Florida. Like I was actually in the process of going to school. I was getting, uh, you know, I was filling out scho uh, scholarship stuff, um, you know, student loans, things of that nature. So I had a choice to make. And I was so in love with the band when I was playing with them and they asked me to be the full-time drummer. I was just like, all right, screw school. Let's just do this. And this became, a, it was not just a band. It was a lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, and it really did turn in, you know, like you were saying earlier, the workhorse thing, because our practice spot was on Highway 90 yep. in Ocean Springs at Mr. B's. Yeah. <laughs> so our so and it's funny because 
Mikey would uh, mix chemicals to all day in that building. That's what, or, I was, uh... that's what I was getting to is <laughs> it got to the point to where our rent payment was, and me included, like I, I was, I was, you know, part of the band. So I, I paid my dues too. You know, we would meet up there once a month and we would sit there and mix uh, windshield glue for yeah. hours. And that's how we would pay our rent month you... to month. It's just mixing <laughs> Fucking you walk glue. in that place and it's like a punch in the in the nose. It's so it just smells like a chemical plant. What chemicals go into windshield glue? <laughs> <laughs> are you guys? Are, I mean, are you guys gonna die premature? I, 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 deaths we must have misplaced the MSDS book because we don't. We didn't. It was just mixed bottle one with bottle two. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna Google this. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure we all of us knocked at least ten years off of our lives from the chemicals that we 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 inhaled in that place. Yeah, I mean, I work and I work at a pool store now, and it's just like the chemicals don't even bother me yeah. anymore. Just, <laughs> so much shit has just been up in this nose yeah. that it doesn't even matter. Because <laughs> like that smell just soaked into everything—the carpet, the walls. Like I'm pretty sure they had to gut that building whenever they they sold it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will say it was it was a glorious day because when we would practice, every, you know, Mikey and and Steve would have to kind of pregame and make sure they got enough beer for the entire mm-hmm. practice. <laughs> God, the day that I turned twenty one. That I turned twenty one on Mardi Gras day. If that wasn't already an awesome godsend, nice. So I mean that like two days later at that practice. It was just like, all right, Gooder, go get the beer. Yeah. <laughs> and I was never that big of a drinker. I mean, I'll, I'll down like two or three beers, but man, Mikey and Steve with the Coors Light could drink two cases between the two of them in a, in a three or four hour practice. Yeah. And not I mean, even I, be phased. They're just like, no, it's like drinking water to them. <laughs> Which brings me to Steve's morphing hair. Yeah, the more his hair started to stick up, so the drunker Steve, he got. So, <laughs> Steve, we, we, would, we would play at Studio 90, and this is where it was, like, really where we kind of, like, honed in on it was uh, old Studio 90. And, you know, Steve would come in, beginning of the show, he would have gel in his hair, it would be nicely parted, coming in looking dapper. He would play, and it would still be stuck, <laughs> still there. But as soon as he got alcohol in him, we would just sit, just sit back and just watch. And throughout the night, you would just see hairs. <laughs> and and he and had it the just go, and it just goes all these different ways. And it looks like he, this guy was in like a straight fucking street fight, but <laughs> no one's touched him or anything. And I mean, like it got to the point where Mikey would legitimately follow him into the bathroom just to be like, "This guy's fucking with us. He's got to be doing something with his hair." Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just, it's just, it's his drunk meter. He became Yancey at that point. Yeah, so like got, everybody so knows that. Started wearing a fucking hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, the drunker he got, he became Yancey, and so that's that. That's how we could tell was his hair started to stick up. But you mentioned Studio Ninety. Do we have any good sto- Studio Ninety stories? Because I don't know if anybody remembers Studio Ninety. It was the old. Uh, uh, Surfside movie theater. Yeah, the old Surfside movie theater that they converted into four. They turned it was it had four theaters in it, and they turned each theater into a different theme nightclub. And I, we used to play in the rock, the quote rock club all the time. Really, the only story I can remember is just bringing home the bartender and dating her for a few months and that weird drama that unfolded. <laughs> I don't remember that. But the thing is, is we used to do, um, you know, we used to do a lot of Battle of the Bands and stuff like that. And of course, Gooter was our go-to. Sweet, by the way. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but clean sweet. Every Anytime time we showed up for a Battle of the <laughs> Bands, yeah, it was over. <laughs> Because we had such a huge following. I'll be right back, boys. You guys keep going. Okay. Because uh, we had such a huge following. I mean, we, w- yeah. you know, we would play no matter where we played. It was, the, you know, we'd have, you know, we would just fill out the bar every, and that wherever was kind, we and played. I, and that was kind of like, you know, and, and by all means, not taking credit or tooting my own horn, you know, but hey, t- 
toot toot, you know, that was kind of where I felt like my job was I was hitting the streets, you know, like hitting everywhere and telling these people like, dude, you got to come check out these guys, you know, and bring in, you know, the, the Heathers, the stars, the Christina's, my, yeah. my family, like all of my family. I mean, my uncle Randy, for God's sakes, at one point was like rocking out with us, <laughs> in, you know, and partying with us till four o'clock in the morning, you know? So it was like, like you said, back then it was hitting the streets. Like we would make flyers and just yeah. go hit. We would post them to, you know, light poles and take them to music and I would stores. End up going into Edgewater Mall and talking to these store owners and just being like, "Hey, can I put this up?" And they're just like, "Ah." Eh. The manager's like, "Look, let me put it up for four hours." You know, just yeah. some, just like something. <laughs> going out to the mall, just handing flyers to people, anybody that looked like they would enjoy a rock show. Yep. I I just don't in this world of everything being online. I wonder. I, I just don't. I wonder how bands now go about getting people to come to shows. Are there even shows anymore? Like I don't that's even know. I, that's yeah. That's kind of what I wonder too. You know, is it's just like especially with the whole COVID thing. You know, they had like the the, the satellite shows and things like that. But you know, it's like it's just not the same. Yeah. You know, it's just I I don't know. You know, and the whole like going digital thing. It's that's just a whole nother language to me, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, pen to paper, you know, I want, you know, the physical copy of it, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hard transition. I guess I know what we're, you know, we know what our grandparents were going through, you know, with like going yeah, no to, shit. you know, from radio to TV, you know, and having, you know, three channels and thinking they're on top of the world. And this was also this time frame we're talking about. This is, this is all pre-Katrina as well, yeah. too. So there were this is this clubs. is the beginning of two thousands. Yeah, this there were clubs to play from, you know, mo- from the entire you know Gulf Coast from Mobile to New Orleans that we would just hit every single weekend, just building a following. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to ask because I did, I really didn't know once we got signed, you know, of course we we got signed to Universal Records which was huge for us. And that, and that was kind of a big deal and, and it kind of fell through and we eventually signed with imprint. Were you an employee of imprint or were you an employee of the band? I don't know. <laughs> Cause you were kind of like us. We were, you I know, know, I, I kind of felt like maybe it was almost like an independent contractor, kind of like the, the whole like WWE relationship with their talent you know <laughs> yeah. it was like because i collected the 15 dollars per diem that that's what i was got. gonna say we got 15 dollars you know? a day per diem while we were on the road because people think rock stars ha- have money let me tell you only like maybe five bands actually make money the rest of us were living on 15 dollars or less a day and yeah, most I of mean, the time that, that went to cigarettes and then we survived off whatever we could hork from, you know, the the dressing room of whatever well, that's club why we, we got played. smart and started putting the sandwiches being our rider sheet. <laughs> Do you remember so, every night that we played with Three Doors Down, like we would play off we we were on tour and we would play one like small clubs as ourselves and we usually had a rider for like, you know, a sandwich tray which we norm we usually didn't get. Or we would play with the X's and then we would play with Three Doors Down. And the nights we played with Three Doors Down, like they had like our rooms were stuffed with like pizzas and drinks and all kind of snack foods. And we would just take our backpacks and just rake shit in our <laughs> backpacks just so we would have food to subsist on. Yeah, because I mean, for those first couple of days, it was like, all right, everybody get your pack of smokes. And then, you know, we would be in the back, being, you know, counting money and all this. And we would just collectively put our money together for a couple of loaves of bread and some sandwich meat, you know, until we could get to the next until we could get to the next place, you know, and just hope that they gave us the sandwiches and then we just (laughs) divvy them up. (laughs) I mean, there was never any any leftovers when when we left the show. Yeah. And and as far as you know, the fifteen dollars a day, everybody smoked cigarettes too, but yeah. most everybody. But not everybody bought the cigarettes. Yeah, though. exactly. I was gonna say like <laughs> most, uh, a lot of the guys in the band would take their fifteen bucks and buy weed. Me, I got tired of having people bum cigarettes from me, so I started smoking menthols. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would bum cigarettes from me anymore. 
menthols yeah, are you're the anyways. only one that smoked menthols <laughs> yeah that's why i started I smoking menthols i got tired of everybody bumming from me i tried i tried i couldn't do, i couldn't do it i'm just out of curiosity what so what around what year was this when you guys were on the road? This was from about 2001 to 2005, roughly. Okay, yeah. so in 2001, not to make you guys feel ancient or anything, I was a year old in yeah. 2000. <laughs> we were uh, hitting the road, son. I was getting some tang and some strange. And, <laughs> and let me let me Put this out there because ever since we were on the road, I tell the story of when we would be on the road, I was considered the responsible one uh, amongst the the uh, the upper management that were managing us. So, uh, you know, I when we were on the road, I always had to have we always had to have two hotel rooms, one for me and one for the band. My room was the sleeping room. And you don't say a damn word while you're in here because it's rest time. And the other room was the party room. And nobody believes me when I say that because everybody's like, oh, you're partying, whatever. Like, no, my room, if you talk or make noise, get the hell out. No, J-Bob had a strict, when it's bedtime, shut the fuck up. If you want to continue (laughs) drinking or you want to keep doing, go to the next fucking room. And when you're ready to sleep, you come in here. And you shut the fuck up. Yeah. No, <laughs> that, I understand what you, that. You would walk into this. This is how J-Bob would sleep. I still sleep that way. I still sleep <laughs> like a vampire. <laughs> I have actually caught myself like waking up in the middle of the night. And I'm like this. And I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> um, but, I'm curious, though. The reason I asked what year it was is, is uh, how much was a Chinese buffet in the year 2001. Probably five, six bucks. Yeah, you guys should have just... Probably $5.99. Do you remember when we were in Charlotte? Not was it? No, it was... uh, What was it? Um, Mount something... Somewhere in North Carolina. And we were starving. And uh, Chapel Hill, I think. Maybe Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And we were starving. And uh, uh, Glenn Matina, our road manager, joined us that weekend, and the the label paid for us to go to the Chinese buffet. And uh, that was after I had. That's well, Glenn came on because I had I uh, moved to Atlanta. Oh, so that was after you left, right? Yeah. Okay, so you weren't there. Oh, I was gonna say the Chinese buffet. They actually, uh, we were, they were about to close, and we begged them to stay open because we were starving. We we're like, please <laughs> let us eat. <laughs> well, that that's one of my tricks when I'm doing comedy on the road is is find like the the cheapest buff Chinese buffet in town and just eat enough for fucking three meals and just go in there and just load down. That I mean, that's what you got to do. We we ate so much food at that Chinese buffet. Like, I'm surprised they didn't like actually ask us to leave because you're talking about like six or seven dudes that are like on the brink of starvation, finally <laughs> getting food. <laughs> but why? That was one thing I wanted to ask actually on the show because I wasn't really sure about your your exit from my departure. Your your departure because it was kind of sudden. Yeah. And I kind of understood because being on the road is hard. It's not easy. People think, no. oh, you're out on the road and like you're having fun. Like you have fun maybe like five minutes out of a 24 hour day. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you're on the road, it's not a nine to five job. You don't clock no. out at five o'clock and go home. Like you're on, you're on the clock 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and you know, and, with, with me, you know, was I was on the clock when you guys weren't, you know, like yeah. when, you know, when we were leaving the show, you know, that would, I would be the one driving through, you know, I would be the one driving through the night, you know, as we're circling around a goddamn fucking perimeter of a city waiting for Brasso to find the fucking cheapest <laughs> yeah. hotel room at two o'clock <laughs> in the fucking morning. And that was the um, thing, like nobody could drive because most everybody in the band either had a suspended license. Or we had our road manager, uh, Robinero, which we, which Mikey named him Robinero the Habanero, uh, refused to drive 
because he needed his rest because he was our sound man. And so that left me, you, and Steve, the only ones able to drive. And then when you left, it was me and Steve. (laughs) And most of the time, it was me and you anyway, because Steve was too drunk to drive. So it was mostly after you left, it was me doing most of the driving. And then I, and you know, and and you kind of had those, you know, nocturnal hours anyway. So you were, you know, it was always me and you that was, if one of us was driving, the other one was the co-pilot. And then, you know, it was like a 50, 50 shot of whether Lenny was right there on the first row, keeping us entertained as well. But man in the iPod, (laughs) (laughs) but real quick, dude, I still tell this story to this day, these, these stories to this day is. Every town we would go through at night, me and J-Bob had this game where we would go on the radio and we would try and find Bruce Springsteen's I'm on fire every (laughs) fucking night. (laughs) Here's and this is why, because we found out that. Okay, our, we we've talked to Mikey on this show before. He was one of the very first guests of this show. He was our bass player, and he's from New Jersey. You do not make fun of Bruce Springsteen to someone from Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> they get very angry if you make fun of the boss. And I would uh, constantly try to find uh, Bruce Springsteen on the radio so I could make fun of it and have Mikey damn near throw me out of the van at 75 miles an hour. <laughs> And the other thing is, I, I, I still, dude, this is one of my, my favorite memories, and then we'll get back into the departure. But it was me and you, and I think Lenny was about to go to sleep, and we were driving into St. Louis, and the sun was rising, and I just remembered just like looking over and seeing the sun with the St. Louis arch. Yeah. And the sun was coming up, and I was just like, fuck, this is awesome. I just like screamed at the top of my lungs for everybody to wake up. (laughs) And it's just like, guys, look at this fucking sunrise right here. And I got about eight fuck yous. I'm going back to sleep. (laughs) And there's only five people in the van. (laughs) Me and Steve had a moment like that too. Uh, We spent literally a month driving around Texas. And you can drive around Texas for a month and never hit the same place (laughs) twice. It's so freaking big. Uh, we hit almost every town in Texas, and there was a night, or actually it was, uh, it was that same time, it was like 6 o'clock in the morning, the sun was coming up, uh, Steve was driving, I was in the passenger seat, everybody's asleep behind us, we're on our sh- way to the next show, and we're like in the desert, and we're just watching the sun kind of just rise up over the, you know, the mountains in the distance, and Steve just looks over and goes, man, isn't isn't it awesome we get to do this? And I was just like, man, like you hit it on the head. Like, yeah, we've gone, we're going through some like really tough shit sometimes, but sometimes moments like that are worth it. Yeah. Oh yeah. So getting back to the departure, um, you know, it was a kind of a, a a culmination of a couple of things. Um, so you know, with, with, with my parents, you know, me going out on the road, they knew, you know, the whole $15 deal and everything like that. So my parents were giving me money weekly to, you know, so, you know, survive and, you know, to, if anybody needed a pack of smokes or something like that, you know, help out the guys, you know, whatever I could, but, you know, not to really shift blame on anybody or anything, but, you know, we're sitting here making $15 a fucking day, breaking our backs. We're out on the fucking road every day, sleeping on a fucking van bench. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you know, the office gets to go home every day. They get to eat a fucking full course meal. They get a paycheck every week. Their fucking yeah. salary, they get that. And that was you the know? thing is they, like, they treated us like shit every, you know, almost every day, but treating us like, you know, we weren't, you know, we were just like a burden, but, we're the ones supporting the label, literally. Yeah, I mean, we were the main act of Imprint Records, you know? And then when they brought Rob in, and then, you know, he gets drunk and is talking about that he took this job for $500 a week. 
that was where I kind of drew the line. You know, we're sitting here surviving on $15 a day. None of us, you know, all we can do is call our families. We're out on a fucking two and a half month tour. And we got this guy that we had to meet somewhere and he's getting 500 bucks a week because he can fucking adjust a knob. Yeah. You know, so, it, you know, it was kind of that. And, you know, like the whole parent thing, you know, it was just like, man, you know, how much longer can I ride out this gravy train before they just kind of say, fuck it, we're done. And I was battling a gnarly fucking like flu bug. It, it kicked my ass out. You know, I was 102 fever. I was sweating, throwing up, shitting at the well, same time. I remember time. that. Everybody got sick. It was when we hit uh, uh, somewhere in Missouri. And because I know everybody like... was sick except me and Lenny, and we yeah. were, we just we wouldn't even go in the hotel room. We would just go hang out like in the lobby or in the in the van because we didn't want to be around everybody because all you guys were sick. Yeah, and it and it was taking a toll on me for a good you know four or five days, and we were in I can't remember if we were in Tennessee or South Carolina, but my girlfriend at the time, Jenny. Um, the one from um, the Atlanta radio station at, from the Battle of the Bands that mm -hmm. we'll eventually talk about. Um, she came down to see the show and I had just kind of had it here. I was at my breaking point and I just took my bags out, threw them in the back of her car and said, babe, let's go home. Had a powwow with the guys and just explained to them, you know, it was like, look, you know, I, I've done this for five years. I just I just can't do it anymore. Um, it, I mean, and there was, there was a lot of fucking tears shed that night. Oh yeah. You know, and, and it just, it, you know, the only thing that I regret is, is how I did it because, you know, like I, it was selfish of me to do it to the guys before they had to go on stage. Yeah. You know, I wish I had done it afterwards, you know, like when we were all setting up, you know, but it's just like in the moment, you know, when you just feel that fucking bad. But you know, I felt yeah. your pain. Like I wanted to go home too. Yeah, <laughs> like every you know, day it was, I was just like, unfortunately, God, I, just I had the liberty of being able to leave. You know, it was like I was okay with, you know, severing those ties and, you know, starting new in a brand new city, you know, and it sucked, you know, and that whole that whole three hour ride back to Atlanta, I cried like a fucking child, you know, that whole ride because, you know, like I had just felt like I had, you know, just cut off my five brothers yeah i mean you know, that's and, and exactly just, it we, we were like a family we were attached at the hip all of us you know all yeah. all six of us for years and then all of a sudden yeah. like you were gone and we were like what do we do now like gooder's gone yeah and i mean that's the thing you know we saw each other every i mean and, and that was a thing like even at even outside band practice you know me and mikey legitimately every fucking day we we saw each other, you know, at least, you know, and it was just like that was the bond that it was, you know, it went beyond, you know, the band and it was a it was a real fucking band of brothers, you know, it was just like, you know, we, we've, you know, not J-Bob so much, you know, but, you know, like me, Mikey and Steve, we fought side by side in a bar, you know, like we've <laughs> bled together, we've cried together, you know, we've just about knocked each other unconscious with instruments and, and foolery, but, you know. Those were the best five fucking years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, of bar fights, I, I've seen quite a few bar fights being in that band. And uh, I got to say, when uh, watching Mikey pick a guy up by his throat and choke slam him on the ground while the whole bar cheered, was probably one of the greatest moments of being on the road. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Mikey's only like what five seven, five yeah. eight, and and he's he's lifting up a dude, you know, and this guy's like beyond me and J Bob's eye level, you know, and we're over six feet, you know, and he's just yoked him up and just right back down. <laughs> and this was what wasn't this in the middle of like a, uh, um, what was the name of that pizza place? Uh, Mel Mellow Mushroom wasn't that in a Mellow Mushroom bar? I thought it was at the sugar mill. Oh, it might have been. I don't remember. Because that was that was when we all went to the sugar mill and all that whole wave of CBs came home. That's and, right. <laughs> and it went down at the sugar mill and there I'm it went bad. That was we had broken foots and racial slurs were thrown around. Oh no, and, this wasn't that night. This was the oh, night I'm okay. talking about was in Birmingham. We were playing Birmingham and we had stopped to eat at like a mellow mushroom. And I think Mikey was hitting on a girl well it wasn't even hitting on a girl she was hitting on him 
And her boyfriend was like right there. And he's like this huge dude. And he starts talking shit to Mikey. And Mikey's like, dude, I'm not, I'm not interested in your girl or whatever. Like, and it just started going back and forth. And then Mikey just picked the dude up by the throat (laughs) and just ran with him like 10 feet and choke slammed him on the ground. And all the dude's friends were like, thank you. He's an asshole. <laughs> Dude, what kind of savages get in a bar fight at a fucking mellow mushroom? <laughs> Paul as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Us guys. <laughs> but I told the story about uh, on stage, and I, I, I guess we can tell it here. It's, the statute of limitations is <laughs> well beyond uh, at this point. But there was a time when... Uh, you know, everybody in the band, including Goo, the entire band, we were ejected from, uh, what's the name of the, what was the name of the town? Was it Odessa, Te- not Odessa, Texas. No, it was Beaumont. Beaumont. We were not allowed to go back into Beaumont, Texas, um, because we were told if we stepped foot in Beaumont, Texas, again, we were going to be arrested. Mm-hmm. We were all going to be charged with felonies because I think the, I think the final <laughs> verdict. Well, I can't remember. I think I, I might have heard it wrong, or it might have just you know kind of been blowing smoke up my ass. But I think they were even saying like they didn't even want us in Texas. Period. Yeah. Because, like I said, we were at the hotel. We were playing this huge show in Beaumont, and we have a hotel. Of course, I got my one room down the hall, and there's the band room. We're all hanging out in the band room. This is before the show. We're all hanging out pre-gaming, and we're just no, drinking. Yeah. So, uh, sorry to cut you off, but just to preface it a little bit, because you're involved in this, before was a meet and greet at a cell phone store. I don't remember so, that. <laughs> so, we were, so we're there. We dropped the trailer off at the hotel. We took the van to the cell phone company, and we started doing this meet and greet. Well, Remember a few minutes ago when I said Steve got smart with the whole hair morphing thing and started wearing a hat. Well, this is one of the hat days. So Steve drives us to this cell phone meet and greet. So so we're all in there and Steve is just acting like a fucking dumbass. And Mikey, you know, like them two were Marines back in the day. So Mikey had a really good way of keeping Steve in check and nothing was working. And Steve was just pounding this water bottle. So me and Mikey get the water bottle and we walk outside and Mikey sniffs it and it's straight (laughs) vodka. (laughs) Now, mind you, this is the guy who drove us to the meet and greet. So Mikey's like, all right, fuck this damage control. So he pulls J-Bob and he's like, all right, you two keep fucking Steve occupied for this last 30, 45 minutes of it. So. We go back into the van. Well, neither one of us was smart enough to confiscate the vodka bottle. So we pretty much just sat and babysat a drunk Steve to a drunker Steve. <laughs> so when it's now, now we're getting into like drunker Yancey now. <laughs> yeah. This is when Yancey starts to come out. <clears throat> yeah. So, so we're back at the hotel room. So, yeah, uh, you're starting to cut out a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we go back to the hotel, and we have to be at the club in just a little while, mind you. Like, we're pre-gaming before the show, and it's just getting rowdy as fuck in this hotel room. Like, we are... We're just fucking rowdy. Like, just rock and roll band rowdy. And I don't know how exactly it happened, but somebody yelled for... I think Mikey was at the windows, like... Somebody's coming. Gooder, do the goat. And, and Gooder jumps into the window and does the goat. And if you've ever seen Waiting, you know what the goat is. <laughs> <laughs> Up against hey. the window. And they're banging on the window and screaming like, Ugh! and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going down to my room. Go down to my room. And then we have to leave you know, a, a little while later and go to the club. Well, it turns out the people that were in the car. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, see, this is when you left and there's a whole nother part of this. Yeah, I don't even know what happened after I left. So, so see, this is where this is where the shit goes down, because when I do my thing, it's like one car. You know, it's it's nobody. It's nothing big. So I did forget this part. Yes. Thank you. 
So a couple of minutes go by and Steve is like, I'm going to go take a shower before the show. So he goes in there to, you know, sober up a little bit. This motherfucker in about five minutes comes out in one of those little like hand towels in the fuck from the bathroom. What he looked, this motherfucker looked like an out of shape Val Venus, the wrestler. He used to come out with a little fucking towel. Hello, ladies. <laughs> and so he comes out in this little towel and he's like trying to fucking dance on everybody, but he's soaking wet from being in the shower. So we're all like pushing him off. So he walks over to the to the window to one up me, and he just takes off the mirror, takes off the towel, and just drops it and just presses up against the window for everyone's glory <laughs> to see. Well, in the meantime, Mikey sees what's going on and he looks over at us. And he's like, "Watch this, guys!" He was drinking a uh, Coors Light out of a can. Mm-hmm. I watched Mikey that day. I've watched him proceed to make a Cooler's Light can disappear in Steve's ass. <laughs> As Steve has got himself pressed up against the window, Mikey comes up with the beer in his hand, like halfway full, and just comes from underneath and just... Sorry. <laughs> attempts to just like insert this beer can up Steve's ass and just like crinkles it till it's like this tall and lifts Steve off of his fucking feet. <laughs> and so that was pretty much the end of that. So Steve goes back in there, kind of like waddles like a penguin back into the shower and goes back in there and rinses off. And then, you know, normalness ensues and then we start to get ready for the show <laughs> and after the show is when uh they told us the they helped told us not to go back to the hotel <laughs> and luckily we brought all of our stuff with us because if we went back to the hotel we were going to be arrested yeah so i get a phone call from the office at imprint records and at one point i'm being blackmailed saying, you know, like, I'll give you $300 if you tell me who it was. I swear to God, I know. Who was it? Who was it? I was like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. They were, they swore up and down. It sounded like Mikey and they were convinced that it was Mikey who did it. So pretty much the, the premise of it was, was when Steve pressed himself up against the window and made all that noise, an entire church van was down in the parking lot about to walk into the hotel and they hear a bunch of noise coming from the second floor and they look up and they just see a middle-aged man stark naked just spread eagle pressing his dick up against the fucking glass but i remember they told me and i don't know if this was separate from you guys but there was a grandmother and her kids oh, yeah like that were yeah, under like that- six years old yeah they said the age range was from like six to well in the 80s and that they were wanting to file charges against like the everybody for us being accessories. We were going to like everybody in the room was looking at getting hit with stuff. But um, yeah, you know, like it was funny because the wrong guy kept getting the flack for it, you know, like they yeah. kept blaming Mikey. And then, you know, once everything started coming out, you know, even then I would get phone calls being like, Steve's taking the rap for Mikey, isn't he? You know, just like, just tell me the truth. And I'm just like, no, it, it really, it really was him. But, um, but yeah, he was facing felony charges and then we were all going to be like considered, um, you know, accomplices and all that shit. And I know three doors had to do a couple of, uh, benefit shows yeah. in that town for, in Texas <laughs> to, uh, kind of have them go easy on us. <laughs> Yeah, because so, we were told at that point, like you, because we were big in Beaumont, Texas. Like they loved us over there. We were on yeah, the Big Dog so, Festival. We were like number one on the radio station for like weeks. So and then, Bob, at- I don't know if you remember, but they actually broke like a radio, like the number one radio rule. They took their airwaves one day and just completely said, fuck this. We're only playing fall as well. And they played it from track one all the way to track 12. (laughs) Continuous, not a break or anything. And they played fall as well on on the radio continuously. 
Yeah. And wow. that was like considered a big deal, you know, because I actually worked at the radio station and the two rules we had was you don't play the same song in a two hour window and you don't play the same artist in a one hour window. Yeah. And so was, after like, this, after this incident, we were not allowed to step foot into Beaumont, Texas ever again. Our biggest market in America, Beaumont, Texas, which doesn't sound like a big town, but a lot of it was one of the most popular radio stations in the country. And they would have, you know, big artists go through that town. Every the one of the, the clubs we played at would have people like Reverend Horton Heat, like, you know, Saliva, like all these bands would play this one big, you know, rock bar um every weekend back in the day yeah (laughs) but it was like it was a big rock town and we fucked that up (laughs) we'll just chalk that up next to voodoo fest (laughs) yeah we'll get into that on uh part two (laughs) our conversation Uh, have have either of you ever actually been arrested before yes no okay gooner i want to hear you being arrested. That's the story I want to hear. This is not going to do my reputation any fucking favors. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm 20 years old. I'm less than four months away from turning 21. I was working at the radio station at the time. I was an on-air personality, and I worked as a board op. <clears throat> this particular time, I was uh, working a board op job, and I was taking phone calls. And this girl, Ashley, kept calling, and uh, we just talked, and we hit it off, and I was just like, hey, what are you doing tonight? I used my radio stroke. And she was like, nothing. Let's hang out. And I was like, cool. So I met her and her friend, and um, it was all cool. We hung out a couple times. So fast forward a couple weeks later, God, I'm going to seem like such an asshole. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I got done hanging out with Ashley and me and her just it wasn't really feeling it. And her friend was just kind of giving me the look, giving me the eye. So I'm in, you know, young 20s. I didn't really give a shit. So I was just like, yeah, I'll give her a ride home. And we started talking and, you know, me and her really hit it off. So um, I had a 12 pack in my floorboard and we went over to a buddy of mine's house and we started drinking over there. And for some reason, we had the novel idea of I was just going to bring her home that night rather than her saying that she was staying at a friend's and she had a completely fine alibi. So we drive from Woolmarket to Ocean Springs. Um, So we start hanging out in her subdivision in the neighborhood. And I had a Ford Focus at the time. So I had a really spacious backseat. I remember that Ford Focus. (laughs) The fuckus. <laughs> the fuckus. <laughs> and uh, so me and her jump in the back seat and we start fooling around. And it's kind of like in this new development of the subdivision. And all of a sudden, about 10 minutes later, I start seeing these lights come at me. And uh, then they start becoming blue and white strobe lights. And so I go to quickly try and put on my clothes and I can't find my shirt. So the cop knows what's going on. Windows are fogged. He sees the beer in the floorboard. I'm going to jail. He has to call the girl's parents. Hmm. And uh, she gets, you know, she gets picked up right around the corner from her house. I couldn't find my T-shirt. Like I said, I look over and she's wearing it. (laughs) Um, So I'm I'm handcuffed, hanging outside this cop car. And, you know, this dad's coming to pick up her daughter. She's wearing, like, my T-shirt. And I'm shirtless. And uh, that didn't go over too well. He had a few choice words for me. And uh, the cop was just like looking at me real fucking funny. And he just kept laughing. And I was finally just like, can I ask why you're laughing? And uh, he kind of like put the rear view mirror up. And uh, apparently I also earned my red wings that night as well. Oh, no. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, Gooder, everybody. Gooder. <laughs> so, so after that, so we were, so when the cop was about to bust us, I was almost, you know, going penetration mode. So I still had the rubber on when the cop showed up. 
So I'm handcuffed, mind you. I get taken to Ocean Springs County lockup or whatever. And I call my mom. It's like two o'clock in the morning. I'm just like, mom, you know, I get my one phone call and I'm just like, mom, you're not going to believe this shit. And I was just like, well, since you're the one who bought it for me, I guess you got to come pick me up. I guess have a good story for dad. <laughs> so she told my dad that, you know, something was wrong with my car and she brought bail money. And it was about a good hour and a half that I'm just sitting here laying in Ocean Springs holding cell. They gave me no cot, no covers, no nothing. I'm just like laying on a steel cot, just laying like J-Bob, just like this, just <laughs> waiting for my mom to come get me and pick me up. Wow. Still, that... have, the fucking, still have the condom on. <sighs> that so story comes and gets me. went places. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom comes and gets me. And I tell him, like, Mom, please stop at the gas station. I really have to pee. And I just walk into that fucking gas station and just whip that fucking condom off and just flick it up against the urinal and walk out. (laughs) (laughs) And that is where we have to end this episode. I I think that's one of the best stories we've had told on this podcast. (laughs) Gooder? I really do think it is. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you again after all these years. I miss you. Absolutely. And we're going to have you on again in the next couple of months. We're booked up through May, but we're going to have you come back. We're going in the park. We haven't even hit any stories yet. We've hit like one story. We have plenty more to hit. This is the nipple of the iceberg here. We haven't even gotten it. We haven't even gotten into Weird Al. We haven't even gotten into finger like J Bob and the finger bangs. We got <laughs> shit everywhere. I need to let's hear just, about let's J-Bob just say and the finger bangs. let's just say we heard firsthand that J Bob's got enough finger rhythm where he should have been a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> On that I need note, to hear about this we're gonna soon. come back uh, maybe at the end of May if we have a, a spot open at the end of May. I'd like to have you come back near my birthday so we can talk about more fall as well stories. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Gooder, where can everybody find you on the internet? Do you, I know you don't do much social media these days, but... You know, yeah, I really don't do a lot of Facebook. Um, Instagram, you can find me at Jay Gooder. Um, I made it public, so I'll start to make it a little bit more... Uh, I'll be on there a little bit more on Twitter. You can find me at Jay Gooder. Um, just to, just to warn you guys, uh, big wrestling fans. So you'll probably see a lot of, you know, wrestling stuff on there, but, um, you know, Hey, if this episode does well and you know, the man can live up to the legend, then I'll start being more active and we'll see where it goes from there. Awesome. Well, uh, Jacob, uh, tell everybody what they can, uh, where they can find us. Actually, let me pause one moment. Hold on. I'll be right back. Hold on. You guys. I am so sorry about that, guys. I'm back. <laughs> I don't know what you guys were talking about, but uh, I came up. I guess you'll have to watch the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess so. <laughs> but uh, Jacob, tell everybody about what's going on with uh, with your new show. Yeah, so I host a brand new open mic every Monday night in Biloxi at Temptation, which is uh, on Howard Avenue, where the old Wayward Kraken used to be. We're uh, we're very slowly building a show there. We're we're gonna try to get do some legwork and get the word out. We might start doing some some stuff to sell tickets to there. But please come out every Monday for some free comedy. It's it. The last two shows have actually been really fucking fun. Like the last show that it was very small, intimate audience. So we just told like road stories and we riffed on each other. It was a really cool, fun environment. And uh, check me out March 18th at the Juke Joint for the Drag Meets Comedy Show. I, I will be one of the comedians, sadly. I won't be one of the drag performers. But <laughs> Boo. There's <laughs> a smile. Yeah. Uh, well, Gooder, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I can't wait to have you back again because we got a lot more content to get to. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Keep, I keep, can't wait. Keep Dude, that this list. Was, this was. This was fun. We'll definitely do it again. If you're in the Biloxi area, go check out Fayard Fest. My boy J-Bob here going to be beating some skins for yeah. that. Co-headliner. What is that? So y'all the come 28th? out there. Yeah, the yep. 20, 28th of the Juke Joint. I'm uh, uh, going to be playing. Uh, for uh, It's going to be great. Fayard Fest. Um, the last one was like 2014 or 15, I think. Uh, we're doing another one because uh, our buddy Chris Fayard 
who passed away a couple months ago, doing a big festival for him. So if you like listening to music, come on out to uh, the Juke Joint on the 28th. It's going to be a blast. But I think that's about it. Anything else, Jacob, before we go? Nope, I'm, I'm good if you're good, buddy. All right, let me play this music here. If you want to email us, you can email us at openmikersgmail.com, at openmikers on Twitter and Instagram, uh, facebook.com slash openmikers. And I think that's going to do it for this week. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Pigs out for Duder. Yeah. Woo!